everybody. Welcome to your weekly sermon from Brad Tilton Ministries. I am so glad that you decided to join me today. I believe this is going to be something that's going to really bless you, encourage you, and build you up in your faith, especially in these times that we are living in right now. I hope this recording finds you well. I hope you've been living in the joy of the Lord and are living that abundant life that Jesus promised to us as his true followers. Amen. Well, we're going to go into, we're going to stay in the same book we were in last week. We're in the book of Joshua. We tackled verses 1 through 9. And we're going to come in, and, and, and there was something that was in that sermon, uh, one of the verses there that struck me, and uh, or actually led me to go later on into the book. And um, I came to it, I thought, I need to preach, continue to preach out of the book of Joshua, because this is really, really powerful. And again, I think it's going to build your faith in this day and age when we see so much diff- so many different kinds of evil descending on us and spreading across our nation. So I'm going to title this Victory Over Our Enemies. Victory Over Our Enemies. And we're going to be in, in the book of Joshua and we're going to be in uh, Joshua 10 and we're going to be reading verses 16 through 26. Joshua 10, 16 through 26, focusing on verses 20 through 2, 22 through 25. But before I get into that and read that to you to start off, I wanted to answer um, a real something, a question real quick that somebody might have or others have had. And it has to do even within what we are talking about today, because we read throughout the Old Testament and we read here in the book of Joshua of God giving commands to, and in this case Joshua, to wipe out all the inhabitants of the enemy camps. Everybody. Wipe out everything. And some people might ask, why would God have the Israelites exterminate an entire group of people, women and children included? And that's the one thing people always try to come to, to try to say they don't want to believe in God, but it's because they don't understand. Really quick. First of all, we trust that God, we trust God that he is just, and that's a capital J there just. And we recognize that we as human beings are incapable of fully understanding a sovereign, infinite, and eternal God. We, our brains can't fully understand. Um, and unlike us, God knows the future. And God knew the reason he does that is he knew what the results would be if Israel did not completely eradicate, in this case, the Canaanites. God commanded in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 20, verses 16 16 through 18, it reads this, In the cities of the nations the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, do not leave anything that breathes. Completely destroy them. The Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. And then it says, Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do and worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. So God did not order the extermination of these people to be cruel, but to prevent even greater evil from occurring in the future. We, all, we must also remember that God looks at things from an eternal perspective and that his ways are always higher than our ways. He is just, he is righteous, he's holy, he's loving, he's merciful, and he is gracious. Again, God does what God does, 
and he's trying to sin becomes so evil that sometimes it all it needs to be completely eradicated so then it wouldn't come back and infect his people and you're going to kind of see that in this and that's what this sermon kind of overarchingly deals with and but we're going to see how we can stop that in our own lives so joshua chapter 10 verses 16 through 26 focusing on verses 22 through 25 let me read this to you right now are you ready victory over our enemies it says these five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at mecca and it was told to joshua the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at mecca in verse 18, and Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies. Attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter the cities, for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. Verse 20, when Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out, and when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, Verse 21, then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp at Mecca. Not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel. Now our key verses, verse 22. Then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so and brought those five kings out to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on, the, on their necks. In verse 25, And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Verse 26, And after Joshua struck them, put them to death, and he hanged them on five trees, and they hung on the trees until evening. Whoa. So we're going to break these down and look at these verses a little bit closer, starting with verse 22. It says again, Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. In other words, it was time for these evil kings to meet their maker. And when I say evil, I mean what evil means to God. Uh, evil behavior includes sin committed against other people, like murder, theft, adultery, and evil committed against God, things like unbelief, idolatry, and blasphemy. From the disobedience in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2.9 to the wickedness of Babylon the Great in Revelations 18.2, the Bible speaks of the fact of evil, and man is held responsible for the evil he commits. Ezekiel 18.20 says, the one who sins is the one who will die. So we're talking about evil. We're talking about evil here. These evil kings were going to meet their maker. In the meeting of these five kings, they were going to meet the human Joshua, but this was a pale preview to their future meeting with the divine Joshua, or in other words, Jesus, who's the judge of all mankind, as John recorded in Revelations chapter 20, verses 11 through 14. Let me read you this. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, this is John, and him, Jesus, who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. Verse 12, And I saw the dead, the great, including these five kings, and the small, standing before the throne, 
and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And let me say real quickly, the book of life is the book that has recorded all the names of those who have truly trusted in Christ as their Savior, and these five kings were not in the book of life. So again, this meeting of human Joshua was just a pale preview of them meeting the divine Joshua, or Jesus, who is the judge of all things. Verse 23 says, And they did so and brought those five kings out to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So you would imagine this rolling of the stone away and this uh, first glimmer of light, they it may have kind of in a moment given them some hope that surely we're going to be spared here now, but all hope would soon be dashed by the heel of a boot and the edge of a sword. And verse 24 says, And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs, of the men of war who had gone with him. He gave this opportunity to the leaders. Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. So this putting their feet on their necks was an ancient custom for victorious kings who put their feet on the necks of of their conquered enemy. The action exemplifies God's promise to make your enemies your footstool. In the book of Psalms, Psalms 110.1, we read David writing, The Lord, he's talking about Jehovah God there, says to my Lord, to Jesus, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You know, we live in a day and age where people want to mock Christians and mock Christianity. But let me tell you something, Jesus is coming again as the judge of all people and all his enemies are going to be his footstool. And notice, again, it's the chiefs and the commanders of the Israelite forces who are given this honor to put their feet on the necks of these evil kings. And the neck symbolized one's strength. And so to place your feet on their neck was a symbolic gesture indicating complete defeat and subjugation. Joshua's actions, we can see this recalled in Paul's words in Romans 16:20 where Paul said the god of all peace will soon crush satan under your feet and in 1 Corinthians 15:25 there's a greater day of subjugation of all the enemies of Jesus and it says for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet the last enemy that will be abolished is death Verse 27, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. So the leader's feet upon the necks of these prostrate kings was, they actually acted out a parable. And this was an assuring sign of how Yahweh would certainly place all, capital A, capital L, capital L, all their enemies beneath them. This was a moment of building the faith of the children of of Israel, showing them that Yahweh, their God, was with them and under the command of Joshua was going to destroy every enemy before them. 
this is should should have built their faith. This should have really uh, this symbolic action. Um, it, it was intended as a visible encouragement to the people of God, and I would like to hope that they were visibly encouraged. I'm trying to give you a word from my mouth uh, over the internet. Hopefully, that's going to be a word of encouragement to you. Uh, this symbolic action of victory that you can have through Christ. This is going to this this is going to encourage you today, especially in the day and age that we live in now. Uh, and let me interject this on that note. Let me interject this truth. Uh, regarding us as followers of Christ, I've come to find that the average believer, they tend to doubt or fear the prospect of receiving dominion over these dark powers of the enemy. But the lesson in Joshua, his admonishing uh, his captains to place their feet on the necks of these evil kings he had conquered, it demonstrates, listen to this, our privilege through Christ's complete victory over the devil. We have that same Privilege. In other words, as members of his body, we are seated with him with all evil powers underfoot. So even in the starting point of this message, you should be encouraged by the understanding that you don't have to ever live in defeat. You don't ever have to live in ever have to live in defeat. You can always live in victory. You don't ever have to live in this situation where your enemies are pressing you down into a place where you feel like you just can't make it anymore. You can always have victory because you're tied in with Christ as a true follower of Christ. You're tied into him and he gives you the power by his power to put all your enemies under your feet. Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. Let me read you this. Say then, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Here we go. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So when we read this, we too can overcome what we would call the strong man because Jesus, or the devil, because Jesus is our commander and he has vanquished the enemy and promises continued victory. In Mark 3.27, we read this verse, it says, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Many times this is taken out of context, but explained properly. In other words, one must be stronger than Satan in order to enter his domain or the strong man's house and bind him or restrain his action and free people from his control. That, that's where that phrase, plunder his goods, is. So one must be stronger than the devil in order to enter his domain, enter his house, to restrain him and free his people or plunder his goods or free his people from control. Only Jesus has the power of over the devil. So you and I, in his name and in his power, can have victory over him as well. I'm not Jesus, but I am tied into him through my faith in him as the Lord and Savior of my life. I am now connected to him, and because I'm connected with him, I now have the opportunity to always have victory. We're going to talk about who our enemies are at the end of this sermon, but I have the opportunity to have victory always over all my 
enemies that would try to come against my life. Amen. Christ has triumphed over all the power of the enemy. Colossians 2.15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In Luke 10.19, he's given us as his followers power and authority over dark powers. It says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. Listen to this. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Behold, I have given you authority. We have authority in Christ's name that he has given us over all the powers of the enemies that would try to come against us. He's commissioned everyone who believes in him to walk into this spiritual battle strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, Ephesians 6.10. That is powerful stuff. That should encourage you that no matter what battle you're in in your own personal life or whatever battle we see going on around us in the nation we are in right now as evil presses just begins to move, has been, has moving across our nation, debauchery and such terrible depths of sexual sexual perversion, whatever it might be, uh, food shortage and the monkey, monkey pox and on this and all that. We have victory over our enemies. We're not supposed to walk around being people who are acting like we are defeated. We're supposed to be people who are walking around with assurance in Christ because that's who we are now connected with. So let's go on. Verse 25 says, And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. Noticing something, he's now giving them what God had given him. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to, here's that word again, all your enemies against whom you fight. So he's speaking back to the people what God had spoke to him in Joshua 1.9, where God said, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Whoa. So this victory over these five Amorite kings was just a preview of coming attractions because as you read on further into the book of Joshua, everybody he came in contact with, every, every king, and, and, and he, he had victory over in, in every single battle that he was in. And notice this repeated pattern in this where it says, the Lord will do, and then it says, and you fight. In other words, there's God's sovereignty, but there's also our responsibility. So God will do it, but within that, we are supposed to play our part and fight. In the context, the phrase where it says, thus the Lord will do to all your enemies, that again depicts Israel's feet on the necks of all the enemy kings. You wonder why they ever doubted. You wonder why they ever went through that time of doubting God. It's just amazing all the things that God had done for them. So this, all this should encourage faithfulness and fearlessness in them and in us because we are learning you and I are learning that we can apply this to us as followers of Christ it goes on to say the phrase be strong well I looked it up in the Septuagint which is the Greek Old Testament the Greek word there that verb for be strong is a command it's a present imperative in the Greek and it's the verb andrizo which literally means act like men. Act like men. So General Joshua here is doing for his men what the Lord had done for him. Again, back in Joshua 1.8, where he said, do not fear them for I've given them into your hands. Not one of them shall stand before you. 
So Joshua's words are there to fortify, they're there to encourage their faith, because warriors without faith is not a good thing in war. And we see this from one passage in particular in Deuteronomy 28, 20 verse 8, where it says, Then the officers shall speak further to the people and say, Who is the man that is afraid and faint-hearted? Let him depart and return to his house so that he might not make his brother's hearts melt like his heart. So we always need encouragement. And you see in these accounts that um, encouragement for the people of God was required in times of victory as well as in defeat. So he's encouraging them in these times of victory right now. I'm with you. I'm going to give you every piece of land that your feet treads upon. You're going to have victory over every single one of your enemies. And listen, he's saying the same thing to us today. We are going to be able to walk out this life. I don't care what's going on around you. I don't care um, to what degree this has gotten. I don't care how much gas is a gallon. Or I do care, but in the sense of this, I don't care how much it is. Because God is my source. God is my source for bread. God is my force, my source for sustenance. I trust in God. I know that I'm part of his family. I know there may be tough times at times, but I, God, with God in Christ, I can make it through everything and I can stand against my enemies all the days of my life on this earth. I never have to be defeated because I'm linked in with Christ. Amen. We have victory over our enemies. And since Joshua is a type of Christ, we can apply this scene and these words to us. And that's why we're able to do that. This is, he's a type of Jesus Christ. He's Jesus, because he defeated all his enemies, he will one day return and destroy them forever. And we will return with him to see all that take place. Amen. And no matter how they may rage and how they may rebel, our Lord's enemies are only the footstool of his feet. Let me read you a passage in the book of Psalms again, Psalms 2, 1 through 3. As I read this, think about the nation we live in now. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Let me tell you something, folks. God will always have the last. He will always have the last answer. He will always, um, always have victory. Uh, through Christ, and we can always have that victory as well. And through, through the Lord, we can claim victory and put our feet on the necks of all of our enemies. And again, we're going to get to the end and talk about what those enemies are. And let's do that right now. So who are our enemies? Who are these people? What are these things that try to come against us whose feet we can put on their necks? You may know the answer to this, but let's look at it again. Let's break it down a little bit. Ephesians 6.12 says this very clearly, For you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. When my wife and I pray on our Sunday morning prayer, when I pray for the nation, I pray against and I pray in Jesus' name 
for the pushing back against these principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of a world, spiritual wickedness, high places. Pray against them first. But then what happens is they use people, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, to do their bidding. So these enemies, they're, they're vicious. They are dangerous. They will use any method to defeat you in your Christian life, but we can have the victory over them in Jesus' name and in his power. And whether you realize this or not, Within minutes after you made your confession of Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, these enemies started their work. Before, you were the devil's property. They could care less. But now that you're Christ, they're going to do everything they can. Uh, the devil's going to do everything they, he can to possibly defeat you. Uh, these enemies are going to try to defeat you in any way they can. To be sure, listen, the, the Christian life is exciting and thrilling initially, but we are promised that there are enemies that are out there uh, warring against us as long as we live. And if we've been safe for any amount of time, you know this to be true. We must be prepared. They must be warded off. And in Jesus' name, again, we can always have the victory. So here are our three enemies. First, the devil. We learn that even though, and please get this in your in your brain, that even though he was beaten at the cross by Christ, he still has the power to influence men for evil. Just look at our government from the existing president on down and how they are influenced to promote pedophilia, transgenderism, sexual promiscuity, etc., and promote it to little boys and girls. That's the devil at work in them. So, He's an enemy of our nation because he's going to try to infiltrate our nation with evil and really try to destroy the lives of little children. But he's also going to individually try to come after your life. And the moment you made your decision for Christ, the devil suffered a great blow of tremendous defeat. And he's angry now. And from this point on, he's going to try to tempt you and try to lead you into sin. But I say to you, don't be alarmed. He cannot rob you of your salvation. And we never need to be robbed of our assurance and our victory. Let me say that again. He cannot rob you. If you're saved, he cannot rob you of that salvation, and he cannot rob you of your assurance if your victory, and your victory if you don't let him. That's why we have the opportunity to stand uh, in faith in Christ and be victorious in everything that we come against. And the devil will do everything in his power to sow seeds of doubt in your mind as to whether your conversion is real or not. He'll try to put pride in your heart. He's going to try to put hatred in your heart. He's going to tempt you to say unkind and ungenerous things about others. He's going to put envy, discontent, and malice in your heart. He's going to attempt to, lie, to, to make you lie and then cause yourself to be a hypocrite. He will try to discourage you, to divert you. He will seek to dilute your testimony. He will attempt anything to destroy your relationship to Christ and your influence upon other people. But, somebody say, but through Christ, you can claim victory and put your foot on the neck of your enemy, the devil. Listen, if you have fully submitted, 100% yielded and surrendered your life to Christ, then you can resist the devil and the Bible promises he will flee from you. Let me say it again. If you have fully fully submitted, 100% yielded, and surrendered yourself to Christ, then you can resist the devil, and the Bible promises he will flee from you. 
Amen. Our second enemy is the world. And this is talking about this godless world system here in our nation and all over the world. And the world system has the tendency to lead people into sin. Evil, um, companions, that you get the wrong friends, pleasures, uh, fashions, look at the way people dress, uh, look at the way young girls dress, uh, opinions and aims. So he, will, he, he has a tendency through evil, companions, pleasures, fashions, opinions, and aims, to name just a few, to lead you into sin. And the Bible says in 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And it doesn't mean that we're supposed to be within society snobs or have a superiority complex. But today, there are so many professing Christians who are walking hand in hand with the world that you cannot tell the difference between the Christian and the unbeliever. And that's not supposed to be that way. Um, the Christian should stand out like a sparkling diamond against a rough background. The Christian should stand out like a sparkling diamond against a rough background. Your life as a man or woman of God should sound different. It should look different. You should act different and you should react differently than those people that are in the world. You have the fruit of the spirit inside of you. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, graciousness, and self-control living inside of you. And you have the ability to live out your life reacting the right way, acting the right way, thinking the right way, and talking the right way. Listen, we as men and women of God should be more wholesome than anyone else. We should be poised. We should be cultured. We should be gracious, but firm in the things that we do and do not do. And we should laugh, we should be radiant, but we should refuse to allow the world to pull us down to its level. We should refuse to allow the world to pull us down to its level. The moment that you do, you've just ruined your influence on other people. And one of the greatest ways that you can evangelize the lost is to live like a true believer. Because when it comes time to you give them the gospel, you've already lived a life where they can see there's something different about you. That now opens a door to the fact of, wow, that person says he's not a hypocrite. I'm going to listen to what he says. It changes everything. And it's all by the way you live your life. And you can have the victory to live your life that way. You can have victory over your enemy that would enable you to live your life that way. Stick your foot on the neck of the world right now in Jesus' name and don't let it have an influence over you. Through Christ, you can claim victory and put your foot on the neck of your enemy, the lust of the world. And our third enemy is the flesh, or I guess we could say the lust of the flesh. And the flesh, if you don't understand, is that evil tendency uh, of our inward self. And even after we've been converted, yes, even if we've been saved, after we've been saved, sometimes our old sinful cravings will return. Sometimes people get startled and they wonder where they came from. And the Bible teaches us very clearly that the old nature with all its corruption is still there and that these evil temptations come from nowhere else. In other words, there is a traitor living within us. We have been, we, the war has been declared on us and we now have two natures in conflict and each one is striving for dominance. It's the battle of self-life and the battle of Christ life. Whether you're going to live a self-life or a Christ life, that's battling and warring with you every single day. Even the great apostle Paul dealt with this. Um, but we thank God that when Jesus died, he took us with him 
and the old nature can be now made inoperative and we can reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin. Romans 6.11. This is done by faith in Christ. We are dead to sin. We no longer have to play around with sin. Listen, sin is a rattlesnake. You play with it, it is going to bite you. And even if you're a believer, it's going to get you off track. You're going to lose your influence. It's going to get you off the path of where you're supposed to be going with God. You need to get it right right now. If you're in sin, you need to confess it before God. He will forgive you, but you need to take the time to confess it and get it right before him. But you don't even have to be in that place, all of us, because we can all have victory over all of this stuff. We always have a way of escape. We never have to give in to temptation. Through the power of Christ in us and the Holy Spirit living in us, we can always overcome these things because the Bible says we are now more than conquers so we have the ability to live a greatly victorious life with our feet on the necks of our enemies the devil the flesh and the world they do not have superiority over us they do not have that they'll try to influence us but in jesus name we have the power to repel that and push that back in his name and through his power amen Woo. you got to understand that you gotta you gotta get that down in you paul said he had no confidence in the flesh on one occasion in romans 13 14 he said make not provision for the flesh flesh give the flesh no place in your life yes we have enemies but through christ we can always claim victory and we can always put our foot on the necks of our enemies this whole account in joshua is showing us because it's a he is a type of Christ it's showing us through Christ what we can now do when he's telling Joshua be strong and be courageous I've given you every place your feet will tread that's the same thing to us be strong and courageous God has given you an abundant life God has given you an opportunity to be victorious in every aspect of your life find victory in your life somebody's watching this right now and you are living in defeat you can't find your way out of it, but this should help you get out of it. Get out of your self-life. Start living a Christ life. Understand who you are in Christ. You are not a defeated foe. You are one who is victorious because, not of you, because you're linked in with Christ. He saved you and set you free and brought you into his family. When he died on the cross, you died on the cross. When he rose, he gave you the power, the same power that rose him from the dead. That power lives in you to do the things that he has called you to do, to have victory over all of the enemies against your life and again in joshua 1 9 god said to joshua have i not commanded you be strong and courageous do not tremble or be dismayed for the lord your god is with you wherever you go that goes for you too i say that back to you be strong and courageous do not tremble do not be dismayed for the lord your god is with you wherever you go Listen, we have victory over our enemies, but we've got to get down the truth down inside of us and understand that fact. I am not defeated. I will not be defeated. I will never be defeated because I am linked to the king of the world. His name is Jesus Christ, and he gives me the ability to tread on serpents and scorpions. He has given me the ability to have victory in every single area of my life and the same goes for you amen let me pray for you right now father i just thank you for this time together oh holy spirit let us all get down deep inside of us the fact that um, 
we are more than conquerors, that we are victorious in every aspect of our life. Father, we pray against our flesh. We pray against the tactics of the world and the influence of the world on our lives. We pray against the tactics of the enemies. He tries to come in and tempt us to act our lives out in forms of sin. In Jesus' name, we stand strong and courageous. We're not fearful. We're not dismayed. We know and understand today that the Lord God is with us wherever we go. Christ is always with us every place we go. We are in him today. I am in Christ. These who are listening are in Christ. They're new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. They put off the old man and they put on the new man. They're not living in their flesh. They're living, Father God, the spirit life right now. And we thank you for that today. God, we thank you that our enemies have lost. We are going to be victorious. We're going to get that down inside of us. We're going to stand on it. We're going to claim it. We're going to declare it. And in Jesus' name, we have victory over our enemies. And we thank you for these things. Let this world, this nation, this system that's going on now will not affect us. It will not influence us. And we will not allow it to bring us down to its level that our testimony might always shine forth saying that we are truly a child of God. So we thank you for these things. I thank you for all those who have listened. Bless them. Make these truths stick firm inside their heart today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining me today. I hope this simple message has brought truth into your life. You're victorious, sir. You're victorious, man. Live your life from this point on all out for God. Amen. God bless you.